Today, I want to start with a story of a sales rep, an office admin, and a manager who are walking to lunch, and as they were doing so, they found an antique oil lamp. And so as one does, when one finally randomly finds an antique oil lamp, they rub it, and what did you know? A genie comes out. Now, since there are three of them, and genies always grant three wishes, he says, I'll give each of you one wish. And so the admin, office admin said, me, me first, I want to go first. Uh, she said, I want to be in the Bahamas, uh, driving a speedboat without a care in the world. And so poof, she's gone. Uh, me next, me next, says the sales rep. He said, I want to be in Hawaii, relaxing on the beach, a beach with my personal masseuse, an endless supply of pina coladas, and the love of my life. And then poof. He's gone, at which point the manager's left, and so the genie says, okay, uh, you're up. And so the manager says, I want those two back in the office after lunch. <laughs> so the moral of the story is if you ever find a genie lamp with your boss, make sure he makes a wish first. <laughs> I think why that's funny is because we, we all have had bad bosses or managers in our lives, and you probably can think of in your mind what boss would do that to you. Like, not even give you half a day. Like, you get 60 minutes, and then I want you back. That's the type of manager at least he was. And today, uh, we're taking a four-week uh, break from the book of Genesis, looking at some of the most famous psalms in the Old Testament. And today, we're looking at this question. Uh, how does God lead us? How, for lack of a better word, how, 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 what type of boss or manager is the Lord? What does he want from us? What is he asking us to do? How does the Lord lead us? And is it any different than the boss, this manager, who just wants his people to get to work? That's the question for us this morning. How does God lead us? And so if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and turn to Psalm 23 with me? If not, you can use your phone. Or if you do not have a black Bible, you can use one of those black ones, and you can take one of those black ones home. If you do not own a Bible, it is our gift to you. Today, we are looking at the most famous passage in all of Scripture. Uh, if I say Psalm 23, some of you probably know instinctively what that is. If this is your first time ever walking through the doors of a church, you also have at least heard Psalm 23 because this is the psalm that is quoted in all the movies and all the shows. It's the psalm about how God is our good shepherd. When I walk through the valley, valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, that he comforts us, that he leads us. This is the one that is referenced all the time. And one of my favorite things to do is when we come across really well-known passages in Scripture is to to see some of the maybe intricacies or small things in the scriptures that we miss. And there are some things in this psalm, even if you are very well familiar with it, that you might not have picked up on, and we're going to see that today. And so a Psalm chapter 23, here is how this well-known psalm begins. Verse 1 says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Or the KJV translation, this is the one that's in all the movies, I shall not want. Verse 2, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I want to say this really quickly. Sometimes people ask me, what is the best Bible translation? To which I always answer, it is the one that you read. The best translation is simply the one that you read. I do want to mention this, however. Um, I am not a Hebrew person. I don't really know how it works other than trying to study various words and see what they mean. Um, but for whatever reason, the CSB, the translation we have today in verse 2, when it says, he lets me lie down in green pastures, um, all other major English translations, they all say he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, there really is no change in meaning of the psalm, whether it's makes me or lets me, but I, I don't know why the, the CSB 
does lets me. Um, there are a few other times where this same word is translated in the Old Testament. There's a, a few times in Exodus, and it's always God makes me. So the more literal translation is makes me. And so I don't know why the CSB says lets me, but, but, the, but the point that's happening here is that the shepherd is leading his sheep or making his sheep do something that they wouldn't typically choose to do on their own. Right? Like if, if you have kids or you were a kid one, at one point, right? Nobody makes a kid do something that they already want to do. Uh, no, no, we only have to make them do something if it's not what they want to do. And so we have to make them do it. And so the question for us is why in Psalm 23 does it say that why would the Lord have to make the sheep lie down in green pastures? After all, isn't what a sheep want to eat and to rest and to survive? I think some of the reason is because all of us have experienced this. Uh, there are times in our lives where we want something good or, or would God would have something good for us, but we want something different, uh, right? Like we, 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 how, many, how many times in our lives have we, have we wished it's something we could have something different, even if it's not what we actually need? There are many times what we want, what we want is not what we actually need, and so we can miss what God would have for us because we are so focused on wishing we had something else. Like, for example, I think most of us would say, hey, if I could just give you a million dollars, do you want a million dollars? Like, all of us would say, yes, that's what we want, and yet, story after story, when you read about people who win the lottery, they time and time again say that they wish they had never actually won, right? They wanted to win, that's why they bought a lottery ticket, but now they wish that it never had actually happened. Or we might want a job that would actually be terrible for us. Or we might want a relationship that is not healthy, nor is it wise, right? In fact, all of us can look back at times in our lives and say, what were we thinking, right? We had a good thing going, or we were on a good path, but in our lack of contentment or in our ignorance of the situation, we tried to go after something else, we had something that was good for us, but we wanted something else, and so we tried to move on to the next thing. Now, also notice here uh, that a shepherd uh, does not ask the sheep where they want to go. He makes them and he leads them where they need to go, even if it's not where they would have chosen, even if they don't really understand why they have to move to another location. And especially so when the sheep do not like it, when the sheep do not want to move, the shepherd actually has to make them and he actually has to lead them. And so one of the things as we're talking about this morning, how does God lead us? One of the things we see in Psalm 23 is that God will lead you into things that you do not want to do. Psalm 23 shows us that God will lead you into things that you do not want to do. So often, again, what we want to do is not actually what we need to do, especially in the moment. So, for example, maybe spiritual practices or disciplines of reading the Bible or being in community or making your local church a priority or fasting. We did that a few weeks ago or, or being generous, right? There are many times we don't want to do it, but it does not mean that it is not good for us, nor does it mean we shouldn't actually do it. Or, or with grief, right? If you go through something difficult and tragic, if you want to grieve in a healthy manner and move forward in a healthy way with what has happened to you, you are going to have to do things you don't want to do in the moment. And if you do not do some of those things, like, uh, like face your grief, uh, talk through it with people, like do certain things to process it, it's harder in the moment to do those things. But if you reject those things and never face your grief, well, in the long run, it's going to rule your life in ways that it does not have to if you would go through it. I, I have experienced a lot of this in my life. As many of you know, when I was 19 years old, my dad took his own life. And so you can just imagine the grief and the tragedy and the horrificness of 
all of that. And so uh, from that and, and through my time as a pastor, walking through other, through other people through other difficult times, I have learned that when it comes to processing our grief, sometimes what you want to do is not what actually you need to do. So uh, for example, a couple weeks ago, a really good friend of mine, they, they're not part of New City, him and his wife went through something really, really tragic. And it happened, he texted me on a Saturday morning, and I was like, hey, man, I've got stuff all day Saturday. As soon as church is over on Sunday, I'm coming to your house. Like, I didn't ask if I could or if he wanted me to. I just knew that was what was good for them to do. Now, he didn't say, don't come, although if he did, I still would have came. Uh, but he, we were a good friend, so I guess that's okay, because I knew it's what he needed. I, I knew, listen, so I go after church on Sunday. I sit, I don't say anything helpful. They're crying. We're praying. I'm just listening. Like, I didn't do anything that was actually helpful. I just knew something. Somebody needed to sit with them. And about a week later, he texts me and he said, hey, I just want to thank you so much for coming over. I want you to know you were the only person that came and sat with us. And I share that story not because like I'm awesome and I did something great. I share that story because we often think in times of grief, like people just need their space, which is true to a degree. But if you have someone close to you grieving, you've got to just show up whether they ask for it or not, because it is good for them. Or, for example, um, you know, we've all been in a situation where we've got something planned in the evening, but then the evening comes and, like, Netflix is calling and there's stuff to do at your house and you can entertain yourself. And you're like, I really don't want to actually do that thing. I'd rather just sit here and stay here. But what so often happens if you actually do do that thing, most of the time you're actually glad that you went. Like, full disclosure, I think about this sometimes with our community group at New City. Our group meets on Tuesday nights at 630. And sometime at 615, I'm like, you know what? If nobody showed... I wouldn't hate it. Like, I just sitting here tonight, that would be great. But every single time I think that, by the time our time is over, I am always glad that we were together. Even in the moment, if I didn't quote unquote want it because I'm feeling lazy, it was better for me. And so I just, as a side note, if you want to get connected, you can text NCC groups, all one word, to 97,000 if you want to be in a group. But I'm always grateful that I did it, even though, even though in the moment, it might not be what I want. And Psalm 23 is telling us that God will sometimes lead you into things you don't want to do because you are following him. You're going to do some things that you might not have chosen to do yourself. Now, I also want to point this out in Psalm, in the verse, the end of verse two, it also says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and then he leads me beside quiet waters. What we see happening here is that the shepherd also leads his sheep beside quiet waters. Now, here's the thing, I don't know anything about sheep other than the fact that they are dumb. That's all I know. So I had to look up how sheep operate. I didn't know any of this stuff before this sermon. Uh, but, but sheep are afraid of moderate to fast-moving streams. Of course, none of us are shepherds, and certainly even shepherding today is a little bit, a little bit different than it was in the ancient world. But in a free-range shepherd, as they're going from place to place to, to feed, would have to find access to water, obviously, so their sheep could drink and they could live. But sheep are terrified of moving water. Even if the moving water poses no threat to them, they will not drink from it. And so uh, the water has to already be really slow on its own, or the shepherd has to dam up the water so his sheep will drink from it. Now, here's the irony behind that, is that the irony is that the faster a water is moving, I mean, unless it's like a rapid, but moving water is actually healthier than water that is not moving, or water that is stagnant for you. In fact, you know this from your own experience, when you get that water cup and you put it on your nightstand, and then you take a drink in the morning, and it's disgusting, right? It's stagnant water. It is is gross, but that is the only type of water the sheep will 
drink. And so well, even though the moving water presents no real threat to the sheep, and if they were somehow to fall in, uh, the shepherd with his rod and his staff would easily rescue them out of the water. They're facing no danger. They still will not drink from it unless it is still or very, very slow. Now, from a shepherd's perspective, you have to imagine uh, it would get frustrating knowing that the sheep could drink from the water from many water sources, but that they often had to go out of the way, the shepherds were, to make it comfortable for the sheep so the sheep would actually drink, even though the sheep could just drink the water as it is. And so what the psalmist is showing us is that our good shepherd, uh, for example, doesn't treat us the way sometimes we might treat our kids if they refuse to eat dinner, right? It's like, eat this or you get nothing, right? That's how it happens sometimes. But instead, the good shepherd, he adapts to the weaknesses and the limitations and the reservations of the sheep, even when those limitations are unfounding or they are frustrating, the shepherd still does what he must do to get the task done so that his sheep would drink. And so one of the things we also see in Psalm 23 is this, and that is that God meets you where you are. He meets his sheep where we are. Here, here's the reality, right? Uh, we all come from different places, uh, different backgrounds, different starting points, different cultures, different histories. All, they're different for all of us, which means we do not follow the same trajectory or understanding in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, we have different things that tempt us. We have different things that trap us. We have different sin struggles. And so following God does not look the same for everyone. Now, this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable or there's some tension because what we want is like a chart, right? Do X, Y, Z, do this thing, and then you are good. But following Jesus does not work like that because he meets all of us where we are in different places. And so what this can mean is that many of us have different convictions about certain things. Or we have a different conscience about certain things. Uh, I'm not saying sin is not sin, uh, but he does not all lead us the same. And there is a lot of things in this life where the scripture doesn't say, do this or do this, we have to follow the freedom of our conscience and our convictions as the Spirit leads us to make the wisest decision for us and our relationship with God. So, uh, for example, the scriptures don't say how much time you should spend on your phone every day. Uh, the, the, there is a difference among Christians about should you not drink alcohol at all or should you only drink in moderation? And your history, your temptations, the things that have happened to you will determine what is wise for you to do in a given situation and what might be wise and helpful for you might not necessarily be needed for somebody else. And so what can, it be, what can happen is that as we follow Jesus for a while and as we figure out, okay, these things are good for my soul and my spirit and these things are not good, when we see th people doing things that are not good for us, even though they aren't technically sin, we can judge people and say, well, if they love Jesus like I would, they wouldn't do that. And then we can forget that not only is God patient with other people, he's also patient with you and me, right? That you and I do not have things figured out everything right now. I mean, you know this. Every time you, every year you get older, you think back to how old, what you thought even five years ago, you're like, I was an idiot. Like, I was so stupid, right? And this is who God is. He, he meets us. He is patient with us. And following Jesus will lead us and might look different for different people, right? The reality is that God goes out of his way to love us and lead us where we are. 
Uh, it's just like a parent who disciplines different children differently based on their personality and temperament. So Christine and I, we have two kids and their personalities are a lot different. And so how we discipline one child is not needed or is it maybe not effective how we discipline another child. They are different based on who they are. And we, we're, we're leading to this, them to the same direction, but their paths look different. Or when I was growing up, I was the middle of two sons. So there's three of us and I got in trouble more frequently and my punishments were more severe. Now, as a kid, of course, I was like, this is not fair. Like, we're doing the same thing. Why am I getting in trouble worse? And then as I grew older and got mature, I figured it out, right? I now understand that it was just that my parents didn't like that I told them how to do their jobs better than they did them, right? They didn't like being told by a kid how to do it. And so apparently they got me in trouble more, right? So all I have to say, uh, God meets you where you are and where you are is going to be different than where somebody else is. And let's keep reading verse 3 in Psalm 23. It then says this. He, talking about God, the good shepherd, he renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I go through the darkest valley, or the King James Version, even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, now, here's what's fascinating about Psalm 23. Uh, these two verses, uh, you might think on a very quick reading of Psalm 23, that verse 3 is speaking to the Lord and him leading us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake and our good. And then verse 4 is talking about, hey, when bad things happen in our life, when we're, we're at our lowest low, uh, that, that God is still there, that he is still with us even when times are difficult. But in actuality, that's not what this passage is communicating. Yes, that's true, but that's not what this passage is saying. In reality, verse 3 and verse 4, they go together. They are not separate thoughts. And the point that the psalmist is making here is that the Lord leads us on paths, on the right paths for his name's sake and our good. And because we are following the Lord's leading, sometimes the path that he is leading us on will take us through really dark, dark valleys on the way to the mountaintop. That it is because you are following Jesus that you are experiencing something difficult. Which is, again, why, let's just read it, verse 3 and 4 again with that in mind. Again, it says this, He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. And because I'm following his lead, verse 4 happens. Even though I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That I am following your leading, knowing and trusting you're with me, even when times are hard and difficult, and I do not understand. Now, again, uh, this is easy for us to miss because we are not ancient shepherds, and we probably don't really know how it works. Uh, but in the ancient world, uh, here's how free-range shepherding would work, right? Generally speaking, um, every spring and summer, the grass at lower elevations or the grass that was easily acceptable to all the animals would be eaten, and they would dry up. And so the only green grass that was still available was in higher elevations up on the mountain or was in areas that are not easy to get to. And so a shepherd would have to lead his sheep up the mountain or to the harder to reach places where the grass was still available so that the sheep could eat and so that they could rest. 
And of course, unfortunately, the only way to get to these better areas, these grasser areas, is to go through areas that are difficult to travel through, uh, through dangerous narrow valleys or things like that, or things where predators are present, right? To get to the top or to get to these other areas, you have to follow the contours of the valley in order to get there, right? The only way up is through difficult passages. And so the shepherd has to make his sheep go where they would not choose to go on themselves, and he has to lead them to life and refreshment, right? Left to their own devices, the sheep would not make it. They, they would stay where they were, they would suffer, they would starve to death, and they would eventually die. That's what would happen. And so the shepherd has to make them go where they would not choose to go so that they might find life. That they had to be led down paths that are not easy to traverse, or that they could be filled with predators. All the while, to make it even worse, the sheep have no idea where they're going or why they can't stay where they are. Right? They have no idea, and the shepherd cannot communicate it to them in a way that they would actually understand. So they're leaving where they're comfortable, going where it is difficult, and they have no idea why. And for us, uh, it can be so, so often for us, uh, we can miss what God would have for us because we do not understand, right? Uh, because it's uncomfortable or it makes us nervous or where he might be leading us is even scary. And so we assume if it's difficult, if there's confusing, if it doesn't make perfect sense to us, well, then it, it can't be to where God is leading us because it doesn't bring us peace, Right? If, if God's going to lead us somewhere, well, it has to be somewhere we want to go. And so let me just uh, say this this morning. Um, I do not believe you will always have peace when God wants you to do something. Nor will it always feel good. Nor will you, always, will you not have any conflict or uneasiness. Uh, there will be times where God is leading you to do something that you're nervous about, that you don't want to do. And there is a peace. There is a just like, I know he wants me to do this. I think that happens. There are also times where you have no idea why God is leading you in this way, uh, that you do not feel any peace about it, but he's still inviting you in. Sometimes the peace does not come until after obedience. Sometimes you do not experience peace until after you trust him. Sometimes it does not make sense why God would lead you or want you to do something or do this thing. But it's the act of following him that will grant us peace. This is how God leads us. Or, or put another way, what Psalm 23 tells us is that God will lead you through difficult times. Right? By, by following Jesus, you will sometimes be, do things or find yourself in places you would have never chosen on your own. And I think one of the hardest experiences or one of the hardest, most difficult things about following Jesus is when you have tried really hard to be faithful. And then it has led you to a spot that feels so unfair. Right? So, uh, for example, perhaps you work really hard at your job. You avoid the office politics. You don't cut corners. You're not shady. You're trying to do all the right things, trying to work with integrity. And then when it's time for the promotion, you get passed up. Or you don't experience the success of others because you choose to not do the things that others are not doing that do not bring honor to God or do not care for your coworkers well. Or perhaps you have someone close to you who has a chronic or maybe even a terminal health issue that impacts you, even though you and your family have been the ones who have been trying desperately to honor God and walk with him faithfully. Or maybe you're generous with your finances and wise with your finances to the best of your ability. You, you try to steward it well and be generous and, and be smart, and yet you have the medical bill or you have the car problem, or you have the house issue that you cannot afford to fix, 
right? Sometimes things will happen to you and to me that do not make sense, that are not fair. And sometimes, though not always, but certainly sometimes, it is actually because of your faithfulness that puts you in that position, right? Sometimes doing the honorable thing at work does cause you to be passed over for the promotion that if you had done what everyone else had done, you would have gotten it too, right? There are times that it is because of your faithfulness that you find yourself in a hard and difficult spot. And it's confusing and it doesn't make sense and we do not have all the answers, but following Jesus will sometimes bring you through those difficult spots, Now, of course, this should not be that surprising to us. I mean, the disciples were killed for following Jesus. Uh, Many many early followers of Jesus in the first, second, and third century Rome had terrible things happen to them because they followed Jesus. And it wasn't because they followed Jesus, but they were jerks. The problem in the Roman Empire is you could worship whoever you wanted to worship. However, you also had to worship the Roman gods and the local deities. Well, the Christians said we can only worship Jesus, and so they withdrew from participating in a lot of the things in their culture, which was viewed as anarchist at best or as straight rebellion at worst. I mean, it was not a good thing. Even if they weren't like doing all these things, trying to condemn people, just by not participating, they were viewed as outsiders or viewed in a negative light. Even today, even if you can be as loving and as kind, as gracious to those around you as you possibly can be, even if you're not passing judgment on other people's decisions, just by refraining, to, refraining from or not taking part in some of the things our culture says or does or celebrates, you can be viewed in a certain way, even if you're not being mean at all. Just by not participating, you can be seen as less than, and it can impact you socially or at work or even in your family. And it is because you are following Jesus that leads you there. However, in all those things, here is the good news for those of us that follow close to Jesus. It says this if we keep reading in verse 5. It says, You, the good shepherd, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And so what's happening here is that the psalmist uh, now presents to the, the faithful follower of the shepherd what happens to those who follow the shepherd. They are now God's guest at a meal that one's enemies or one's adversarial conditions are powerless to, enjoy, uh, to prevent the enjoyment of God's presence and the love and the comfort that God brings, that his mercy, his hospitality, his steadfast love are the assurance for the faithful, uh, for, for God's grace, for those that rest on those who are following the Lord. And they are, dwe- they are invited to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or for as long as I live can also be understood as forever or forevermore or as days without end. That I can be in God's presence and there is no end in sight when that happens. Now, again, one of the things for us to miss, because we're not ancient Israelites, is how radical this statement was to be in the house of the Lord. So for us, you know, you can come to church as you are. You don't have to dress a certain way or do a certain thing. Like, everybody's welcome. In ancient Israel, in order to get close to the tabernacle and then the temple, you had to do certain things to make yourself ceremonially pure enough to be close to God's presence. And so to enter the house of the Lord, to be in the presence of God, was a very serious thing and required certain 
certain things to take place. You had to be ceremonially clean to be close to the tabernacle or temple, to be close to God's presence. And so you had to offer certain sacrifices or go through certain rituals to be clean. And, and you, can be ceremon- you could be ceremonially unclean even if you hadn't done something sinful. Like there are just certain things you could have done or been exposed to or been close to that make you ceremonially unclean even if you haven't sinned. And so you had to be clean, whether sinful or not. You had to be clean to be close to God's presence. So you couldn't just walk up there. You couldn't just be like, what's up? I'm here. You know, you just like, you have to do certain things. It was a serious thing to be close to the presence of God. But even then, you could go to, you could enter the the courtyard, but to actually enter into the tabernacle or actually enter into the temple, only certain priests were actually allowed to do so after they had done a number of things. And then inside the tabernacle and then the temple, the back one third of it is called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, only once a year after doing a number of ceremonially cleansing things could enter into the Holy of Holies. And when he would do that, they would wrap, they would tie a rope either around his ankle or his waist that if he did something wrong or if he died, they could pull out the priest without actually going in as well. And so it was a big deal. And so we need to be in a position to be acceptable by God in order to enter into his presence. So the question is, how is that possible? How can we as sinful, broken people who do not measure up to God's perfect standard, how is it possible for us to enter into his presence? Well, Psalm 23 is telling us we need a shepherd who will lead us. We need a shepherd who, like someone in Psalm 23, will make it possible so that verse 5 and 6 can be our reality. See, verse 5 and 6 do not happen on our own accord. It doesn't happen by trying really hard. It doesn't happen by trying to do more good things than than bad things, but only by walking and following and trusting the shepherd who was providing a way for us. And so the question is, who is the good shepherd who will lead us and that we should follow that will grant us access to the house of the Lord? Who is this good shepherd? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, in chapter 40 through 55 of the book of Isaiah, it's all about the suffering servant to come. There's going to one day be the suffering servant. He's going to lay down his life for his people. And one of the the markers of the servant is that he's a shepherd. In verse 40, verse 11, it'll be on the screen, it says this, that he protects his flock, this suffering servant, like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing, that he is careful and loving to his sheep. Or in John chapter 10, it's all about Jesus explaining how he is the good shepherd, how he is the fulfillment of the suffering servant. And then he says this in verse 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. That Jesus is our sacrifice, our atonement, the one who takes away our sins so we can enter the presence of God. It's why the author of Hebrews writes this in chapter, in chapter 13, starting in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, equip you with every, everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him, to whom be the glory forever and ever. That we take on the perfection and righteousness of Christ, not because of our effort, but because of his love for us. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, one of the leaders of Jesus' 12 disciples, he writes it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
so that having died to sins, we might live towards or for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Again, not your effort, not your promise to do better. Not I'm going to stop doing this thing by Jesus' accomplishment. We have been healed. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. See, what the scriptures are pointing to culminating in Jesus is this, that Jesus is the good shepherd who loves you. That's what Psalm 23 is pointing to. That is what the scriptures are showing us, that he's the fulfillment of this, that he comes, that he leads, and that he meets you where you are. And this is how, that he cleanses us, that, that he invites us in, that we do not earn it, that we do not shape up on our own, that he makes it possible for us to experience his grace. And goodness here is not defined by what we want, but by what we need. He does what we need so that we can experience the goodness and mercy of God. It's why in Luke 15, the last thing we'll read this morning, uh, Jesus is talking to a group of tax collectors and sinners. So the, the good people of, the, of society and the worst of the worst. And it says this in verse one, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I said this all the time. If Jesus were around today, there is zero doubt in my mind that, I, that we, and me included, would be uncomfortable by who we spent time with. We would think he doesn't deserve it. Why would he spend time with them? But he rescues people who are far from him. So he says this in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. He doesn't say stupid sheep. He doesn't say, I can't believe he did this. He rejoices that he has rescued the one that was lost. Verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he chases us down. The good news of the gospel is not that some of us were good enough and some of us are not good enough, that none of us could earn it. And in his love, he has come to give his life for us, that he lived the perfect life. He died the death that we deserve. And he defeated death and rose three days later to show us that, we, that sin and death is powerless over him. And that anyone who trusts in his salvation and his atonement and his substitution can receive the mercy of God. And that means anyone, no matter who you are, what you look like, what you wear, who you hang out with, what you watch on TV, how you speak, what, you, what apps you use on your phone, anyone and everyone is welcome to experience the good shepherd's love. He makes us clean, not our effort. And this is how we can say in the midst of whatever difficulties we might be facing in our lives, what it says in Psalm 23, verse 6. Again, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It is because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that we can make this truth our reality, that he leads us, that he invites us, that he accomplishes, and we just follow. But he pursues us first. And so to experience the truths of Psalm 23, you have to walk with him. You have to trust him. You have to be honest that you need him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Again, the question for us this morning was this, how does God lead us? And ultimately, here's what we see, that Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us home.
That is who our God is. It is not your effort. It is not you trying really hard. It is not you promising, hey, God, if you forgive me here, I'll do all these things to make it up for you. It is all on him. It is by us trusting and following the shepherd that we experience the goodness of God. And here's the best thing of all. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to be with him. And so if you feel broken, if you feel damaged, if you've been, I mean, all these terrible decisions this week, this month, this year, this past decade, he says, I want you, that I'm here for you, that I call my sons and my daughters to experience my grace and my mercy, not based on your effort, but based on his accomplishment. He wants you to know him. He is not a boss who uses his genie lamp to get something from you. We can offer God nothing that he cannot find in himself. We can offer God nothing that he cannot get for himself. He simply invites us in because he loves us. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us home, who invites us to dwell in the house of the Lord as long as we live. And in one day in his kingdom, when there's no more crying, death, cheating, or pain, we will worship this God. And we will look around and say, the only reason we are here is not because we figured it out. It's not because we read the Bible. It's not because we went to church or we memorized some scripture or we threw some money in the offering plate. We are only here because our shepherd invited us 